How's it going, everybody? Aloha and welcome back to the Brick House for another edition of Bo's Football Final here at KHON2.com and anywhere you download podcasts. I'm your host, Rob DeMello. Joining me, we got the whole gang back together. Former University of Hawaii player and coach Rich Miano, former Rainbow Warrior offensive lineman R.J. Hollis. And fellas, it was a milestone evening in Manoa on Saturday as the University of Hawaii football team secured their first victory of the season, 24-14 over Duquesne, signifying, of course, the very first head coaching win in the career of Timmy Chang. Now, there's lots to unpack from this game, the good, the bad, and the ugly. But first, let's hear from the winning head coach and one of the defensive MVPs, co-captain Panay Pavihi. Here's what they had to say following the Hawaii homecoming win. It feels good after being 0-3, to be honest with you. Um, you know, it, it's it's one of those things where, you know, I, I you know, say we didn't win this week, we, you know, when, when, when will we win? You know, it's one of those things. So it was for me. It was a must. It was a must-win situation that uh, that we just we gained confidence as a team, as a staff, and uh, so it meant it meant everything. But um, you know, I'm not going to stop working until we we win consistently, and and that's just my mindset. That's just that's just the type of guy I am. A huge congratulations to uh, Coach Chang. You know, on getting his first win as head coach of the university. But at the end of day. Uh, you know, we're not satisfied, you know, with the win. Um, but, hey, that's our uh, first win of the season, and, you know, we'll roll with it. But, you know, there's still a lot of mistakes to fix. All right, guys, again, that was Timmy Chang and Panay Pavihi. As mentioned, 24-14, to the final score. Rainbow Warriors beat FCS member Duquesne, a game that Hawaii won despite an atrocious passing game for the home team. So, of course, we'll dig into that. But first things first, and that is the first. As in the first win for this team here in 2022, first win for Timmy Chang as a head coach at his alma mater. Some people might look at it as just another FCS victory for the UH football team, 19 straight dating back to 2001. But that first win is everything in the Rainbow Warrior rebuild. They needed this one, Rich. How special of a night was this for the Bows and for Timmy Chang? Yeah, Timmy's first one is huge, Rob. I'm so proud of who he is becoming and how he is handling himself because wins are hard to come by, as we all know. And I think Timmy gets the big picture, right? He not only bleeds green, but he's so extremely enthusiastic and passionate about this monumental task of turning this program around because we all know this is a talent-depreciated roster as well as the other issues in this program. But for the defense to have three interceptions, a touchdown, bend but not don't break in the red zone. Special teams, even though they had some miscues, they had two explosive plays. That is huge. There's lots to clean up. It's a great teaching tape, Rob. But to answer your question, huge win. Proud of Timmy. RJ Hollis, we talked about this last week where it was – you know, uh, no matter what happens on Saturday, it's a long season ahead. There's a lot more football to be played. But the emphasis on the word long could change depending on how this football game played out. Now, the University of Hawaii got the win, so therefore it's, all right, they got that dub, one and three, long season ahead. Let's see what this team can do. If they were to lose, then all of a sudden it becomes Oh, man, it's a long season. There's so many more of these football games we all got to watch, and we can't wait for 2023 to just get here already. And so R.J. Hollis, 
just getting that first win. Perception is reality. They showed, no matter how it happened, that they can win a football game. And that's big when you're trying to sell something to a locker room, to a state, to a fan base, to an alumni group. They needed this, right? Uh, absolutely. And, you know, one of my favorite artists, Kanye West, uh, when he dropped his first album, he won some sort of award. I can't tell you exactly what it was, but his acceptance speech went something like this. I act crazy and people know that I act crazy when I don't win. And everybody was wondering what would happen if I didn't win. He holds the trophy up and goes, I guess we'll never know. And just last week, we talked about how bad it could have went if UH did drop this home game against Duquesne. And how bad the, you know, social media outcry and how great of a place social media is. But how bad that would have been, how much longer, like you said, Rob, that would have made the season. But at the end of the day, we will never know the effects of a loss to Duquesne because UH was able to come out victorious and get its first brotherhood win in the TC Ching Athletic Complex. So at the end of the day, that's all that matters. Do you get the George W? Do you get the Samuel L? And the Bulls were able to leave with a George W this past weekend. And going forward, you got to know, hey, it's still some challenging games in front of us, but we did what we needed to do against Duquesne. And you got to give yourself a pat on the back because it is never – easy to win in college football. If you don't believe me, ask uh, Jimbo Fisher over at Texas A&M who had the best recruiting class in the history of recruiting and then lost to Appalachian State. So it's never easy to come by a victory no matter what people may say or what, you know, pregame comparisons may tell you. It's never easy to win a collegiate football game. So you got to give congratulations in order to the Bulls, but still more to come forward. But they got what they needed on Saturday. Yeah, never easy to get a win and never easy to get a win when your offense puts up 184 yards total offense for the entire game. Yet that's what the University of Hawaii football team was able to do, put up 184 in offense and able to walk away with a win. We are going to get into this offense or lack thereof as far as the passing game uh, goes uh, production wise for this Rainbow Warriors squad. But of course, when you put up 184 and get a win, there's only one way that that happens, and that's by having big plays on special teams and defense, and then, of course, having the defensive unit lead the charge, and that's what you saw out of this Rainbow Warrior football team. Let's go over some of the numbers by this UH football defense. Individually, Isaiah Tufongo was the leading tackler with eight tackles in the game. Kaulana Makaula, who saw his most significant playing time of the season in Ann Arbor to a loss to fourth-ranked Michigan a couple of weeks ago, he plays uh, a big role in this game yet again. Seven tackles for him with uh, one punt block that he was credited. It looked like he and Meki Pei were in on that. Pei, the aforementioned transfer from Washington and Iolani School, he had a, uh, a tar or what would it be targeting call in that second quarter, and so therefore he missed the remainder of that game. But he had three tackles and a tackle for loss, uh, played a big role in that outing. Verdell Edwards, seven tackles. Hugh Nelson had six tackles and a pass breakup, one that was almost a pick six. And of course, the guy who did have a pick six, Panay Pavihi, who we heard from earlier, four tackles, a sack, and a 50-yard pick six touchdown for this defense and that was one that really broke this thing open uh, Malik Hausman two tackles two interceptions including the game ceiling interception to wrap things up and he had three pass breakups 
on the day. All right, Rich Miano, when you look at Jacob Yoro and his defensive effort, this is a unit that has improved week in, week out. You made the 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 pr- proclamation of uh, no team or every team gets better. Uh, their biggest growth between week one and week two. And what we saw is that holds true because from that Vanderbilt game, the defense improved for Western Kentucky. You saw despite explosive plays against explosive athletes against Michigan, this was a solid second half for the Rainbow Warrior defense against the Wolverines. And then really put it all together against Duquesne, where when you take out a, a few long drives that kind of bookended the first half and then really towards the end of the game, um, this was a defense that that really held control throughout. Yeah, and maybe, you know, I don't like that term bend, but don't break. But you're right. You know, when you talk about defensive coordinator Jake Euro, linebacker coach Chris Brown, defensive line coach Etienne, as well as secondary coach Abraham Elamimit, enjoy this win for the nine hours you know, that you may have, but let's continue to improve and coach them up. And they will, because I watch them at practice and I love the enthusiasm. I love the spirit of these coaches and how positive they are. Now let's talk about three interceptions. All of them were crucial. Sometimes you make an interception and it's a change of field position, but these were in the red zone. These were an interception for a touchdown. So, you know, uh, much props to them. Malik Hausman had his best game as a Rainbow Warrior in, in an incredible uh, game. Panay Pavihi played extremely well, as you mentioned, probably would be co-MVPs. Noah Kamana, Kalana Makala, to me, they've kind of shored up that safety position, tackling better. Um, so I'm liking what I see. For, for E. Shaw and Ezra Evi Malo showed me there's a little more depth at that nose tackle, D-tackle, uh, the interior front that we're going to, you know, the Rainbow Warriors are going to need moving into Mountain Western Conference play. So I thought they got pushed around a little too much, Rob, and, uh, but they made the big plays when they had to. Lots of teachable moments, but these guys, as you alluded to, get better weekly tackling fundamentals, gap cancellation, integrity, uh, just playing better football. And this, to me, was the unit that had the most guys that they lost and to show the improvement they've showed again, going back to the coaches, enjoy it. Let's get to work. Yeah. Let's talk about a little bit of the coaching there, RJ, because uh, a couple of names that, that Rich brought up when talking about the defense are freshmen and sophomores, younger guys. And so let's talk about the player development aspect of this defense. You had a handful of freshmen and sophomores contribute in this Duquesne victory, and and some were really big contributions. Some were just moments that they needed this guy to step up and do his job, and he did. You saw Tariq Jones, Peter Manoma, Wyndon Ho'uhuli, Ezra Avaimalo, Meki Pei, Matongi Thompson. These are all freshmen and sophomores on this football team. So player development-wise, from when these guys entered training camp to now as the season goes on and you see each game that they're a part of, they are able to provide more and more for this defense. What does that tell you about what's going on, not on the football field in games, but in the meeting room, on the blackboard, on the PowerPoint, player development? I think it's a two-way street on that one because you got to give credit to the coaches for being able to coach these young guys up. But you also got to give credit to these young fellas. Like I said, it's not easy to play collegiate football and to come in early 
it nobody gives you extra leniency because you're a freshman or because you're a sophomore so to be able to come in early and contribute I think that's great as the players themselves do it but I think it's an even bigger plus when you have a coach that can help develop these young guys and get them started early you know one thing about college that makes a really good team is when you can get a nice core of senior leaders but before they become seniors they're juniors before they're juniors they're sophomores and when you have them at that underclassmen level already contributing that gives them the excitement to know that hey if i'm doing this this now and this early into my career two or three more years with this program learning and getting better we could be a very mean defense especially if we keep our nucleus of players from their sophomore year and freshman year all the way up to where they become a junior year and senior year mix. So I think it's great when you get players excited, when you have them together, when you get young guys in early and it takes both, it takes both the coaches developing and the players being eager and willing to learn and perform the way that they need to do at an early stage in their career. So I think the player development is going really good on the defensive side of the ball. Both these young guys stepping up and these coaches accepting the call, knowing I got to get these guys ready a little bit more than I'd have to do for a junior or senior. And it's interesting, three touchdowns in this game for the University of Hawaii. Um, None of them were touchdowns that came from drives by the offense that were able to facilitate each other down the field, right? You had the first touchdown coming off of a huge 58-yard kickoff return by Jalen Perdue, which set up the Rainbow Warrior offense in a favorable positioning uh, on the Duquesne side of the field and able to be punched in for a, a Diedrich Parson touchdown. Then you look at a blocked punt by Meki Pei and Kaulana Makaula, Iwilani and Punoho ILH connection hooking up for that. And then Diedrich Parson able to cash that in as well. And so that was the first half, right? And so you got two touchdowns, but both sparked by special teams. Special teams with a big night. Now, obviously, they had their mistakes, a couple of roughing um, calls uh, on attempted punt blocks uh, later in the game in the second half. And so you have a couple of positive plays, a couple of negative plays, and they cancel each other out. And so you try to move forward with what you learned from both of those experiences. And then you go into the second half where Panay Pavihi on the defense is the person responsible for getting into the end zone. And so you have a ball game that the offense does not really create opportunities for themselves to score touchdowns. You're now four games in, you're without a passing touchdown on the season, four games in zero passing touchdowns. Joey Ellen got the start at quarterback goes 13 to 20, 86 yards with an interception along of just 20 yards. That means that, through four games, this passing offense now without a completion over 35 yards, which is pretty unheard of in, in the world of college football and especially at the University of Hawaii. Uh, Braden Shager ended up finishing that game. Uh, he only had one pass attempt, but it goes for seven yards uh, to Dior Scott. Uh, the two of them combined for uh, to get sacked three times. And, and I mentioned that it should be noted that if you remove the quarterback from the equation, those three sacks, uh, you know, which was a, a loss of over 20 yards. If you look at just the running game for UH, Diedrich Parson and Najee Bryant Lele, they averaged six yards per carry combined. So your two actual running backs on 21 carries goes for over six yards a pop. And so here we are again, and it seems like we've been talking about this week in, week out. 
the running game is working for the University of Hawaii. But with that being said, the running game working still does not translate to the passing game working. And that goes against anything and everything people talk about when it comes to offensive football is that if your running game is working, your passing game is supposed to open up because teams are afraid of being beat by the rush. But in this situation and what we've seen so far in Ian Shoemaker's offense, and, and, and again, it's just four games in, is that despite the running game working, the passing game still just can't get it going. Rich Miano, why is that? Rob, I want to kind of paraphrase what you said because I wanted to start with a positive. And Najee, Bryant, Lely, and Diedrich Parsons are warriors. Love the way they those guys run. And I want to give a little bit of credit to the offensive line. They had some mistakes, some penalties. There were some protection issues. But let's start with the positives. But that being said, make no mistake, the future of this team, Rob, will inevitably be answered by offensive identity who are they who is the quarterback without sounding hyperbolic Rob no team at any level has ever thrown 172 passes I'm talking Pop Warner I'm talking Pylon big boys uh, high school college professional without a passing touchdown you mentioned no catches longer than 35 yards that's hard to do as well less than 200 yards offense against an F BS, FCS team, excuse me, and no vertical passing game, as you alluded to. This is not been seen in Hawaii, you know, maybe ever. And there is got to be tremendous concern of, again, naming the quarterback, getting him reps, getting rhythm in the passing game. And Timmy Chang said all week long, along with Ian Shoemaker, the passing game has to catch up to the running game. And to be honest with you, it went backwards. And uh, Rich, you know, the, this offensive situation or offensive situation, as some people are calling it, um, with this University of Hawaii team right now coming off of a win, it's really interesting because every week we get questions into the Bose football final mailbox. And of course, after every UH game, you can find me on my Instagram story with an, an option for you to put in your question. Uh, if you can't go there, it's also on Facebook. Uh, you can find me at Rob DeMello, uh, at Rob DeMello KHON on Twitter. Get those questions over. And, and this is not an exaggeration, guys. Every single question that went into the Bose football fin final mailbox this week was about the offense. There is, was not a single question that didn't have to do with the offense. And uh, I've never seen anything like that before. And we've been doing this for what, since 2019. And so uh, let's get to some of these questions. I mean, because we're talking about the offense right now. And so let's get some of these in. Um, and we'll start with T Boogie, who uh, wants to know what needs to happen, RJ to get a jolt of energy into this offense? Where does it come from? Well, first first of all, it's two things, and I'm going to try and get a little, you know, comedic relief just to help ease the pressure right now. Uh, God <laughs> rest his soul, John Witherspoon. I don't know if you ever seen a movie called Boomerang with Eddie Murphy, but he comes in with this crazy outfit on and goes, you got to coordinate. You got to coordinate. And at the end of the day, that's the most difficult thing about an offense. There's a play where Panay Pavihi comes in on his blitz, makes the sack, kills the whole play on defense by himself. Yes, there are D linemen eating up blocks. Yes, there are corners in position to do whatever they need to do. But if 10 players on the defense fall down, a quarterback gets cocky and says, I'm going to throw it to the one guy still standing, that cornerback can still stop that play by himself. As an offense, you have 
to coordinate. You have to mesh. There has to be some sort of gel and familiarity, especially with the wide receivers and passing game. I mean, when you talk about just a route tree and how difficult it is to understand that in and of itself, that's one thing. But when you have the quarterback not knowing which route you're running or how you run those routes, where you make the dig at, when you have a receiver that doesn't know if the quarterback likes to leave the pocket, doesn't like to leave the pocket, likes to put air underneath his balls, likes to throw him low so I go for the shoestring, it's very difficult to have a successful pass game when you don't have that sort of coordination. We used to see when Cole McDonald and Chevin Cordero were at practices, they would be uh, after practice still throwing with receivers that they had a very good connection with. So that's the one part of it. There has to be a coordination of the offense. But the second part is one of these quarterbacks has to step up and take the spot. QB1 is not, yeah, they say you got to name it. You got to name it. That doesn't mean it's just going to be given to you. That doesn't mean, oh, you played here last year. We're going to give it to you. You used to be a four-star. We're going to give it to you. No, when the game starts, Whoever performs the best, whoever is going to go out there and do what needs to be done from that quarterback position to put us in a position to be successful, that's going to be my number one guy. And what we've seen through the first four weeks is that none of these quarterbacks have stepped up and put themselves in a position to be unequivocally named that QB1 to get those additional reps, to get that familiarity. So, yes, the offense is already difficult enough by itself when you got 11 guys having to be on one single heartbeat. But for that QB position, the most competitive position in almost all of sports, somebody in that quarterback room has to step up and say, I'm going to be QB1 and I'm going to remain QB1. <laughs> Hey, Rich, hey, you're pointing, Rob, you're doing, Rob, I want to talk. I'm saying, bro, go ahead. This is okay, you, man. I, I, I got to have the quarterback let me know that my play's being called. Okay, let me just get to this without patronizing, right? RJ, if he plays in the league, right, and has a successful career, he's on ESPN, he's on Fox. We're lucky to have him on Bo's football final. But I think I got a career change for him because there's got to be a role on NCIS. Magnum, right? Doogie, K. Aloha. This I want to hear this. Can speak eloquently. He's passionate. I'm telling you, RJ, you got to go Hollywood, my brother. Hey, hey, and I got to say this. Uh, you know, I was at the Clarence TC Ching Athletics Complex on Saturday. And uh, for anyone who's listening, um, I ran into a bunch of people who were very complimentary on the podcast. And, and you know who you are. I'm sorry that, you know, I, I, I didn't get everybody's name. Uh, it was a bunch of people. And, and it was really, I mean, the, the, the fact that people took time out of their evening to, to give that kind of aloha, we appreciate it. I appreciate it. And so thank you from the bottom of our heart. And, um, and, and I got to say, I mean, Rich RJ, you guys make this thing so much fun, bro. For real. I absolutely love it. I love the, the talking shop over here with you guys. And, uh, and I couldn't agree with Rich more. We need to get RJ Hollis on into Hollywood. It just <laughs> promised us though, that when that happens, you're still oh, here. Brick on House Bo's coming with me, final, baby. Bro. Hey, if I go Hollywood, the Brick House going Hollywood. What you mean? <laughs> don't, don't don't be big timing us, RJ, bro. Come come on, OG. You know me better OG, than that, bro. OG, you know me life. better than that, OG. Brick House going Hollywood. If RJ go Hollywood, <laughs> I love it. All right, so on the, along the lines of what RJ was talking about, it as far as the quarterback position goes, uh, let's go straight to Everyday Better Hawaii, who's asking the question. Who's the quarterback here coming up against New Mexico State? I mean, this is still only four games in. You've seen Braden Shager in part. 
You've seen a lot more of Joey Yellen. Um, Cameron Cooper, you saw pretty much just run the football here uh, against Western Kentucky. And uh, I think he got in against Vanderbilt as well, right? And so what's the situation here? Jake Farrell is available, but hasn't been used in a ball game. Armani Eden is the scout team quarterback. Um, the, the situation at hand is who's the quarterback moving forward, Rich? Okay. First of all, nobody's ever accused me of being a quarterback whisperer, a guru. They, they call me an apologist. Okay. So that's not good. But I'll tell you one thing for all those people that I've been telling that Tua is the real deal after six touchdown passes and 500 yards passing today and some of the other things that are going to come to fruition, the Chevron Cordero's, the Dylan Gabriel's, the Mackenzie Milton's, the guys that, you know, the, uh, uh, what's my man's name in Arizona, Jacob Delora. Uh, check it out, Rob. I've been saying for weeks now, Braden Shager can spin the ball better than any one of them. Braden Shager was not responsible for four interceptions. It was two. And he threw about five balls at nobody else on that roster. And I'd go with Farrell as the number two guy because he can spin it as well. I am. I like Joey Yellen. I heard his persona, his personality. Timmy Tomey is just like Nick Rolovich. You listen to him on interviews. He's a wonderful young man. So this is nothing against the character, his work ethic, uh, the intangibles. This is about winning football games and giving a young guy with a future a chance. And I'm going to go to my grave, ride or die. If it's not Braden Shager, if I'm wrong, somebody prove it. Yeah. Uh, RJ Hollis, how, how do you feel about that as far as Braden Shager goes? I, I think, too, is hearing uh, people's thoughts, talking amongst other people, especially on Saturday night, uh, I think a lot of people have respect for Braden Shager and, and look at Braden Shager as the guy that could potentially lead this offense to spectacular things. But understanding that it is a process and it is going to take time. We do know that he was dealing with an injury before the Michigan game. It was an undisclosed injury. Uh, we were told heading into this past weekend that he was available, but continues to deal through that injury. Um, you wonder how close to 100% he is, being that he came into that game um, only through one pass. Uh, they needed to get into the end zone at that time, and they had multiple opportunities in that red zone because you had penalties and, and pushed you back a little bit that you would have thought that, like, hey, even from the standpoint of you need to throw a touchdown pass, you need the first in order to get the second, and so you almost expected them to dial up and almost force feed uh, a receiver in the end zone to just break through and break that seal. But they tried to run the football uh, pretty much uh, dominantly in that red zone trip, which ended up being a Matthew Shipley field goal. But when you look at it, RJ Hollis, are, are you with Rich where you want to see more of Braden Shager? Uh, I'm right there with Rich. And I'm going to literally just quote the last thing he said. If it's not Braden Shager, somebody prove him wrong. But I will also add to that to say, if it is Braden Shager, prove the OG right. Whatever you're doing this morning, tomorrow morning, Wednesday morning, Thursday morning, that has to correlate with you becoming the QB1 on Saturday. So, yes, there might be Braden Shager right now front running, but at the end of the day, it's just front running. You have not won the spot. You have not taken the spot. You have not solidified the spot. Is that the best candidate for the QB1? At this point, it is, but at the end of the day, he has not 
taking it. So I am right there with Rich that I think Shager should be the QB one. He has shown of all the quarterbacks, he has the best potential to put the offense in a position of success. But at the same time, Shager has not done enough to let the coaches know I can put all my faith in him and just let the rest of the quarterbacks figure it out. So prove him wrong if you're another quarterback. But if you're Braden Shager listening to Bowls Football Final, prove Rich Miano right. That started this Monday morning. It also goes into tomorrow, into Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday when you take on New Mexico State. Now, we've made it very clear here on Bowes Football Final that uh, the assurities in life are death, taxes, and the Hawaii fan base believing in the run and shoot, right? I mean, we've we've already figured that out, okay? And so, I, therefore... I yeah, so therefore the the mailbox is overflowing, and if you were to do like a, a control F and try to search for words, if you just type in "run and shoot," uh, it's gonna light up big time, right? Because everyone's talking about it. And so, let look, it's four games into a season, and um, and and I want to to you guys have a lot of football experience in your life, and so I want to get a legit thought on this as far as. Let's just say for argument's sake, all these people who are banging on the door and saying like, look, can you just implement the run and shoot Can concepts? Can you just slowly ease into it, provide something in the run and shoot here? And and because people believe that that's what will work. That's what's going to make this thing work. With that being said, now the six yards per carry for the running backs, right? Does that carry over? Right. I mean, the, the offensive line is blocking a specific way for these running backs to get their six yards per carry. Will that continue if you're trying something else out on offense? So that's number one. Number two, four weeks into a season and you have five days to prepare for New Mexico State. Is that enough time? Can you legitimately install something like that where it's not just installing plays, it's installing concepts and philosophies? So, Rich Miano. In all honesty, right? You're someone you're talking about identity earlier and something needs to happen. And, and let's just say for argument's sake that Timmy Chan goes into the meeting room and says like, hey, look, we got to implement a little something run and shoot wise. The people are calling for it. I think it will work, whatever it is, right? Realistically, are we in a world that that could take place and that could happen? Okay, so first of all, Nick Rolovich didn't make many monumental mistakes, but the one make mistake he made was not going with the run and shoot concept his first year and had little success. Talking to Timmy Chang so candidly at Wednesday's practice, and I and I and I love his transparency. I love his he's just a guy that's gonna speak from the heart and he's passionate. I think he wants to do some run and shoot concepts, and you can't just instill Mouse Davis, you know running the run and shoot in terms of reads on the run and not true routes. There's such thing as what they call a true run and shoot, which is there's no read other than the initial read. So you're not reading coverages as you run. So yes, 10 personnel run and shoot comp, uh, concepts installed slowly methodically throughout the rest of this year, not wait till next year. And I think we'll have more vertical success in this passing game. And I think it's something Timmy wants to do and hopefully for Timmy's sake in this football community and the success of this offense that we don't wait till the off season. But at the same time, Rob, you can't install the whole playbook. You can't install all the different reads on the run with the quarterback and the receiver trying to be on the same page. It's a true call based on the initial look of the defense and get some concepts going. And I promise you they're going to get in the end zone. They're going to score points. They're going to be passing yards. We're going to move the football. And I think, 
it will appease not only the fan base, but all these offensive armchair quarterbacks on Sunday or Monday or Tuesday, whatever that is. RJ, from the offensive lineman point of view, I mean, is one of the things I brought up first because I think it's the most, one of the most important when you think about the offense as far as you are getting success in a certain facet of the offensive production, the running game, the rush blocking. And so as an offensive lineman, if, if you were on this team and uh, the offensive staff comes to you tomorrow and says like, hey, look, we're going to implement some of this stuff. It's a completely different from what we're doing right now. And uh, by the way, you play on Saturday. What goes through your mind right there? And is that doable? Um, I'm going to have to disagree with it being doable only because our offense switched. But I don't think in Nick Rolovich's first year, he comes in and sees that roster and says, I can do run and shoot with this. If you look at the 2019 10 win season, great passing game. They had four wide receivers, none of them over six feet. When Nick Rolovich came, his receivers were Marcus Kemp, Emin Barker, Tui Unga, Dakota Torres. Uh, you did have John Ursula that you used in that slot who will become a lot more useful later, but you did not have the pieces to run the run and shoot the way you did in 2019 when you had been around for a while. For offensive linemen, I don't think it really changes that much. Protection, you got to pass block regardless of what the pass is. And you got to run block regardless of what the run is. I think with coming in, seeing that I got a guy like, you know, Jordan Murray, who looks like LeBron James in the Hawaii uniform. I don't know if he has the wherewithal to become a good run and shoot guy, but I know as a tight end, he could do that. So there's also that part too. When you come in, you have what you have and you can't necessarily turn it over overnight. Do I think Ian Shoemaker and, um, Timmy Chang see a run and shoot for the future? Yes, but I think they're going to have to get their guys first, put in their pieces and get what they need before they can implement that offense. But for now, they're just taking what they have and they're trying to put something together in the form of a more simplified offense. And I think that's easier than trying to put the whole run and shoot in right now with the pieces you got. Yeah, Rich. Okay, so RJ, not to contradict YB, Young Buck, but these receivers are who they have. When you look at what I call the horizontal pass game, the bubble screens, the hitches, the slip screens, the funnel screens, they can't block on the perimeter because they're not very big. And I agree with you. That's the concept of the run and shoot is to run DBs off vertical passing game. And the best thing about what Rolo did in year number two was not the run and shoot. It was the RPO. So I'm not saying go to the run and shoot as a, wholehearted campaign install a new playbook tomorrow morning at practice i'm saying continue to do some rpo stuff jordan murray is no longer a hand in the ground tight end block at the point of attack h back anyway he's a wide receiver and it's not that hard of concepts to do a couple two three run and shoot things a week until you build up your playbook continue to do what you're doing and get better at it and don't do too much simplify things but the receivers are who you are. You still got Chuki when he comes back, who's tall. You got Jalen, who's tall. You got some young guys, the kid from Canada, uh, Nick Cavender, or whatever his name Senecal. is. Senecal. He He's tall. You got some run and shoot receivers on this roster that you're going to have to get up to speed anyway with Jonah Pinocchi being out possibly for a long time. But, shoot, I don't know if you wait till this offseason – do you lose this fan base? Do you lose the momentum Timmy built in the offseason? Do you lose 
potentially winning games because you can't throw a ball longer than 35 yards. Yeah, and it's like what we talked about last week, right, where this is the interesting part is that if you are losing football games, you have to keep the fan base engaged, right? You have to keep them thinking that, hey, this could be something. Because think about it, right? There have been years in the University of Hawaii football history that that there have been struggles um, that were bookended by success, right? And so the first one that comes to mind is 2004, Timmy Chang's senior year, the senior year of Chad Owens, right? That was kind of the culmination of the first era of June Jones because like we talked about last week when Rich wasn't here, was that 99, yes, that was uh, June's first year and that was a successful year, but you look at it as, he came in in 99 with a coaching staff that had Rich Miano, a bunch of others, but Avion Weaver and Adrian Clem and Kaulana Noah and Dwight Carter and Quincy Lejay. I mean, all these guys were on the oh. team. They were loaded. I mean, these were all NFL football players that carried over from 98 to 99. The most comparable season to 2022 in the recent history of the University of Hawaii is probably the year 2000 because you lost all those NFL guys after having them for one year. And now you had to rebuild the program. You had to play freshmen. You had to play sophomores. You had to play JC transfers. And the team went three and nine and lost to an FCS opponent. Not only lost, but lost by 25 points at home, right? So that was a rebuilding year in 2000. Okay, that's the one you compare to 2022. So again, backing up, you look at 2004 with that Timmy Chang senior year. Then you have 2005, which was another rebuilding year. And you got sophomore Colt Brennan, your freshman Devon Best, freshman Ryan Grice Mullen, freshman Solomon Elamimian, Adam Leonard, right? All these guys, and you have to play them because this is your future. They're the best players on your team, but they're young and you struggle that year. But what did that year provide? It provided hope. Because people saw numbers, they saw incredible plays, they saw incredible players, and it got people excited for 2006, despite only having five wins, right? And so that's what this team needs to do right now. And so I think, Rich, to your credit, as far as what you're talking about, you have to give people a reason why they should be optimistic. You have to give them a reason why there should be hope. And I think that adjusting the offense, trying vertical passing game, implementing some run and shoot, which is the sparkle world word here in the state of Hawaii, that will do that. So I definitely think it would benefit the University of Hawaii football team moving forward if they can do that. Obviously, we're not coaches. We're not in the meeting room. We don't know what's going to happen. But definitely, uh, four games in and coming off of that performance, still with no passing touchdown, still with nothing over 35 yards in regards to a positive gain vertically in this passing game. I mean, I don't know what else you would need to kind of tell you that, hey, something needs to happen here. All right, guys. So uh, real quickly, before we, we close things up, a couple of more things I want to talk about. Number one, New Mexico State is next on the schedule, an 0-4 team. Uh, the game will be in Las Cruces, 2 p.m. Hawaii time on Flow Sports. Best of luck trying to find that. It's a streaming service. And so if you're over the age of 30, uh, I, I give you all my respect and trust that you will, you will be able to find Flow Sports. Um, uh, with that being said, UH enters this game as an underdog, despite having beaten them twice last season. I talked about it on the Spectrum Sports postgame show that this is kind of crazy because when you look at it, right, film is everything. I mean, you know this, Rich, as a coach. Is it, I mean, if you have film of guys and, uh, you know, that's going to help you so much. And so you look at New Mexico State had the luxury of playing the University of Hawaii twice last season. So you think, oh, let's pop in the DVD. Let's watch this game. Okay, this guy, this guy, this guy. 
And then they're going to watch the tape and be like, where are all these players, right? I mean, all these guys that were supposed to be here are no longer on these teams. Nick Marner's catching touchdowns at Cincinnati and Jonah Laulu's getting sacks at Oklahoma. Corey Bethley at Arizona State. Darius Moussa at UCLA. Shevin Cordero at San Jose State. Cameron Lockridge at Fresno State. The list goes on and on and on. And so therefore... Hawaii actually has the advantage as far as familiarity goes because New Mexico State hasn't changed as much as the University of Hawaii has. And so, RJ, first things first, your thoughts on this matchup, Bows and Aggies in Las Cruces? I think it's a game that UH is going to have to take serious. Um, New Mexico State is not going to roll over. Like I said earlier, it is never easy to get a collegiate win anywhere but I think the biggest part about this is it would be the first road win for the brotherhood and Timmy Chang and that is another monkey you need to get off of your back because it is extremely difficult to go on the road and do what you did against Duquesne at New Mexico in New Mexico so I think it's going to be a big matchup and I think UH definitely has to take it serious you know and this is your last matchup before you get the bye week and you go on the Mountain West play where everything matters now. So as much as it may sting to be an underdog, I think UH still knows they can go out there, do what they need to do and come with a victory. But it's not going to be as easy as just showing up and playing. Um, UH is definitely going to have to do something, especially on the offensive end of the ball. Rich Miano, what do you think about this matchup from what you've seen out of this team to this point? Do they have what it takes to go up on the road and beat someone? Anyway. Yeah, and I'm gonna start. I'm gonna start with special teams, right? First of all, the ability to block a punt. They the reason they didn't block the second one is they overran that punt. That should have been two blocks and possibly three blocks. The ability for Jalen Purdue to have that 58 yard touchdown return. He's been close to popping one all season long, and so I'm liking what I'm seeing. Uh, Shipley hasn't missed a field goal. Well, he had one block, but hasn't missed a field goal when the, when the mechanics were all good in almost a year or so. Kyler Havelson's kicking the ball off well kickoff coverage i i think defensively we've seen improvement and we're going to continue to take the ball away we're going to get pressure we've seen that ability it is offense again and but i do think that this offense will get better there's only one way to go and that's up continued repetitions name hopefully a new quarterback or whoever you name let's get this guy you know throwing it on time and, and rhythm the, i like the running game the, the, there's four horsemen in that in, in that uh stable and all of those guys can play so that's encouraging. This offensive line, Ill Manning, I don't know what his problem is with, you know, jumping off sides and procedures and some other stuff, and they had to hold this game. They're not going to play a perfect game, but they physically can be dominating as we enter Mountain West Conference play. And I know the offense is going to play better. So I ain't a betting man. I ain't going to tell anybody to go bet money on Hawaii, but I do expect them, as RJ said, it is tough to win on the road, but there's nothing more satisfying to win on the road when you're all together on that plane. You're all together eating Subway sandwiches. You're all together, you know, for hours upon hours with one another bonding. I expect to win on the road and I expect this to catapult us into Mountain West Conference play. All right, last thing before we uh, say aloha on this episode of Bo's Football Final, and it's going to take us full circle. We started talking about Timmy Chang and getting his first head coaching victory, the first win of the season for the Rainbow Warriors, the first win of the season for the Brotherhood, and that movement here created in the offseason. And so I just want to hear your guys' experience about when you think of getting 
that first victory? What comes to mind? And so, Rich, obviously, you have a, a pedigree in football that goes back to the youth level in high school and in college at the University of Hawaii, 11 years in the National Football League. And then, of course, your coaching career, uh, both at UH and at your alma mater prep wise at Kaiser High School. When you think of the first victory, what comes to you? Is it as a player in the NFL? Is it as a coach? What's your number one, number one? I'm going to go 1999 Eastern Illinois, and, and, you know, falling behind early and just getting that victory and knowing after getting blown up by USC and people doubting the whole you know state of the program, our coaching ability, everything else, even though it was an FCS team or a one double A team, the elation, uh, the buy in, the belief. Um, winning is so hard and so enjoyable and you got to coach these guys up harder after a win. So I know this staff knows that they're going to coach these guys up harder, but there's nothing better than when you do go to Costco, when you are in the community, people, you know, patting on you, you on the back. The problem is, is you can't get complacent and you can't, you know, listen to the positive stuff. You can't listen to the naysayers. All you got to do is focus on your job. But as a coach, there's no holidays. There's no days off. It's a grind. And guess what? It, it's a lot easier to grind after a win than after a loss. RJ Hollis, what is that number one victory when you close your eyes and you think about it? So it's actually funny because my number one, I actually didn't even play in. And what made it so significant for me is I had a teammate by the name of Ben Clark who had started his entire career, his freshman and sophomore year, I wasn't playing. His junior year, my first game ever traveling with the team was to Fort Collins. I got B-roll in that game going off and, you know, squad, squad, mano y mano. And everybody kind of knew who I was and, you know, how I did because I didn't play in that game either. But the following week, we go to San Jose this is the first, I want to say, first road win in the Norm Chow era. The game's over, and Ben Clark comes up to me and goes, I have taken 15 plane rides and never got a victory. Wow. You got a victory on your second plane ride. And he walks away. And to me, that elevated the feeling of that victory a million fold, which kept me going because – like I said, the game they caught me getting excited for B-roll, I didn't even touch the field. I wasn't even out there. But to know what it meant to somebody like Ben Clark who would start 50 games for the University of Hawaii and play his senior year with a whole broken foot, which he did. Foot was all the way broken, and he played every single game. It meant that much that he had to tell me on your second plane ride, you get to feel victory going back home. I hadn't felt that in three years. So that, just like what Rich was saying, is possibly one of the greatest feelings in the world. When you get on that plane with your band of brothers, you go have your 60-minute battle, and you leave victorious. And now we're going back to the airport with the feeling of victory, with the feeling of a lightheartedness that we just came here and did what we need to do. So I think it's going to be huge for Timmy Chang to get this first road win. But from my personal experience, I had seen somebody start three years straight and did not get his first road win until the back half of his junior year. So appreciate it if you can get it. Well, we'll see what happens. And maybe, RJ, you can facilitate a phone call from Ben Clark uh, to call Timmy Chang if they're victorious and be able to say, I rode 15 <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> airplane rides 
and you got a victory in your second as a head coach at the University of Hawaii. And he can he can follow up. He already did RJ. Now he can do Timmy Chang if the Bulls are able to pick up this victory against New Mexico State. Of course, that game on Saturday, 2 p.m. Hawaii time. It will be on Flow Sports. But of course, throughout the week and on game day, be sure to stay with KHON2 on air and online for continuing coverage. Guys, it's been a lot of fun. Another episode of Bo's Football Final in the books. For Rich Miano and RJ Hollis, I'm Rob DeMello. Much mahalo for listening, everybody. Have a great week. Aloha.